Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. Uh, I'm a professor of exercise, phys, and nutrition, and I'm a bodybuilder. She just sounds so enthused there. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, folks, Rob Fortress Fortney here, former editor at Muscle Mega International, former competitive bodybuilder, competitive powerlifter, and uh, all-around awesome dude. That's right. This is Phil Stevens. I'm Run Strike Guild, Live for Hope. I'm a competitive powerlifter and dabble in the Highland Games. Dabble. 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 I might go back to the field in the next month. I think that's exciting, though. You know, yeah, bring back a little athleticism. Yeah. I think I think Lonnie will be a lot better for us, folks, when he gets a couple more uh, mouthfuls of his Joe. Yeah. I'm drinking Via. I'll tell you, if, if people aren't used to uh, Starbucks Via, I don't know if, what people think about it, but it's instant. You can literally go to a hot tap you know, uh, water and just boom, there's your coffee. And it, you know what? Like you've often said, Rob, coffee is a little bit different than just caffeine. Uh, I just took half a tab of caffeine with it because I'm sensitive to that. But the point being is it's part of the smell and the aroma and, you know, the, the whole ritual thing. So hopefully talking to you guys and uh, getting into the mood will help. Anyway. Sure. Yeah. So, do you want me to start off with a couple uh, questions I got via some of our listeners? Yeah, let's sure. let's do that, and then we'll go on. We'll move on to some news and a little geeky science before we do the topic of the day. Cool. Um, got a letter from Mike Galusha. Loves the show. Keeps him motivated to train. Um, his question is <laughs> not after today. Not after me sighing. Yeah, no kidding. Right play. now, he's th- he's throwing his. Weight bed on the floor thinking, screw it. If rock salt's not into it, I'm not into it. No, I'm getting into it. All right. Okay. Sorry. Um, how do you guys feel about using techniques to try to expand the fascia around muscles? This isn't a technique you can use on its own, but it's worth, finish, worth finishing your workouts with some hard flex hand stretching to try to expand the fascia to allow for greater muscle expansion, blah, 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 blah. Thank you, Mike Galusha. So that's his question. Um, the only thing I can really uh, um, add to this whole thing is that, what was it, Lonnie, what was that guy's name 15, 20 years ago? The guy that was uh, had all the MCT oils and stuff, and he was all about the fascia training. Was that John Perillo? John Perillo, that's the name. So some yeah, of our older, older um, listeners, more veteran lift, uh, lifters out there might uh, remember the name John Perillo. He was all about that. That was his deal, and I remember he used to... Uh, you get Milos Sarchev, Bob Chicharillo, Steve Brisbois, guys like that. He would always have these pictures of him doing these crazy, nutty, like leaning on these guys in such a way that they had grimaces on their face of pure pain, trying to stretch out their fascia. So I lifted with Steve Brisbois once, actually. Oh, really? Well, I, I used to watch him work out, actually, because he's uh, from Toronto up here. So. Well, I mean, I lifted sort of next to him and, you know... I wasn't training with the dude. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. 
Anyway, he was he was he was a short guy. He was probably yeah, short. the shortest professional bodybuilder ever, outside of that Flavio Bacchanini guy. Remember Flavio Bacchanini? Yes, I yeah. do. Well, anyway, okay, let's get back yeah, on we're, topic. We're totally getting out of it. Yeah, so yeah, but that, that's pretty much all I have to say about that because I. Well, you know I what? Now, Phil, let, let's let's put this on Phil. Didn't you have some kind of ART done in the past, or? or have I think you know, before we even start that, I think Lonnie, you should tell some listeners out there what that is, be fascia, because I think there's probably people there who don't even know what that is. Okay, a qu- quick um, setup here. Fascia is the sheath that surrounds a muscle, and I think the idea here is. It's logical, although I haven't seen a ton of published science on it, that over time you would get adhesions and, you know, sort of a thick, bound-up sort of muscle with this sheath around it. And the whole idea is if you get some active release therapy or something like Perillo used to push, um, sort of flexing a muscle while someone's giving very, you know, intense pressure and, and dragging their, their, you know, their thumbs as a massotherapist or what have you along the muscle belly that you can sort of break some of that up and I've heard all kinds of claims improved bench press less pain uh, all that kind of stuff um, but again Phil what did you say did you have it done then or yeah I, I had it done several times I can tell you it's very very freaking painful um, all the fascia basically my muscle bellies and my quad were were all seized together have you seen the video going around a guy goes into real well into explaining it about the uh like the spider webs we get when we sleep type stuff. Have you seen that video? And he actually takes cadavers apart and shows it. Oh, no. Yeah, that's a good one to look at if you're interested in fashion and stuff. When, when we sleep, we build these spider webs, and then he goes on to explain that's kind of why we get up and we stretch when we wake up. You're breaking all that up. But, uh, well, there's different kinds of collagen, you know, in the body. Yeah. And collagen is a very important protein. I think when people exercise, they just think actin and myosin sometimes, you know, the contractile proteins. But the soft tissue and the supportive sort of stromal tissues around a muscle, they also change, you know. And the elasticity can change and the composition can change and, and come and go. And so yeah. my response to, to this email that Rob's mentioning was just that, uh, you know, Phil mentioned something I think is not a bad idea. I should have some of this done, like, live. Like, I'll record, maybe not live, but I'll record it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, everybody yeah, can kind of yeah. laugh because I'm sure I'm going to be howling because I, I am sore and sort of mildly injured all over. I never used to be like that. But <laughs> it's painful. I'm thinking it might actually help. So I You will. I mean, I saw, I don't know if I saw a performance increase, maybe a little mobility. Um like in my calves, because they are so locked down, I definitely saw like size increases, like half to a quarter inch. Oh wow! Just from breaking things up, they're just so adhesed, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and things like that. I mean, it's just uh, I'm just bound up. Like like they said, my spider webs are more like concrete. Right. <laughs> That's so, how I feel. Yep. Um, well, and I'll tell you, were just all fused together. They weren't sliding nicely right. against each other. And I'll tell you, um, like for example, livestock. Uh, as I understand it, like old steers, you know, old male bulls, for example, uh, apparently their meat's not good because it's so adhesed, you know, yeah. no, we're using this verb, I'm not sure that's a verb, but, you know, it's all, you know, tough and chewy, and and I know we're all pretty tough and chewy, but, um, so it does make <laughs> sense. I think biologically yeah. it's very logical. Uh, I just haven't seen a ton of, uh, you know, anatomy papers published on it or not, but if I come across yeah, anything... No, neither have I. So, what do you think? You what do you think about what this guy there's is asking? Whole, about, like, there's whole freaking what's the mad cow or something is based on that. You know, you do a bunch of sets, and then the last sentence is extreme stretch. 
Um, I don't know. I, I never gave it enough time or validity to even try it. Yeah, I think it gets overwrought, uh, like, people's advice on this in the gym. Like, you know, if, if you just use some kind of foam roller, if you flex and stretch a little, then, then that's going to fix you all up and I don't think that's going to nearly do what a trip to a massotherapist would do no I mean like all the talking to all the guys that I've done sure it's great a little bit of therapy but it's kind of like bringing a shotgun to a to a sniper range right. you're you're using something you know these adhesions you know maybe they can get it with their thumb or another tool and you're trying to use a roller to hit this small spot but uh or just stretch. Now, having said that, I think stretching a sore muscle or stretching after a workout is a good idea. Yeah. I like to stretch my lats when I train my lats. It helps me kind of get the mind and the muscle and feel them. And you know what I mean. So I, I think stretching during a workout is probably good. And who knows? Maybe without knowing it, we are breaking up some of that as we do that. But yeah, you. I don't know about you, you guys, but you, know, you take I it too to far, Lonnie. Because you, you you take it too far though. You get this slab of oil on first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, other mail that we have. All here. right, this is uh, from Corey. And Corey is uh, saying he get, gets questions all the time about protein. Uh, his brother asked him recently about uh, the quality differences between like a Walmart brand and a protein from a more expensive name brand. Anyway, he goes on and on about this. Uh, thanks for your letter, Corey. Now, I know that you sent him a quick uh, response, Lonnie, um, saying about the uh, CRC Press Protein or whatever. Oh, the yeah, the protein book from, from CRC Press. That's yeah, the book that I've been giving away lately. There's a cha- Chapter 5 is Bill Campbell, and it's on protein types. And he actually talks about the processing behind like a whey isolate versus a whey concentrate or a whey hydrolysate. Uh, and I guess my point being is... I'm not just out to sell these books. If you don't want to buy the book, you can go to the CRC Press website. If you just Google Lowry CRC Press and Protein, you can buy just that chapter, like electronically, and you can be the master of the manufacturing, you know, process by which these different proteins are made. So what, that's what I would suggest. What would be the uh, take-home message, as you would put it, Lonnie, about this whole thing, about far like, like about quality, the qualities, if there are any, between? What you'd see in like a GNC or a pure bodybuilding store versus you know walking through Walmart and see a couple of tins. What, what, yeah, uh, well, quality. Right, there are measures of protein quality. There are many, uh, from the PDCAAS to like uh, biological value or the protein efficiency ratio. There's all these different quality markers. Um, I would argue that because whey is fairly cheap, I mean they used to discard it and feed it to pigs. You know, I know, don't get me wrong, I hear that the dairy proteins are much more expensive than they used to be, but the point being is I would argue that most whey protein, which is probably the highest quality if you want to put it that way, uh, and even creatine for that matter, which is not a protein but it's nitrogenous, either way, these things, I think they're inexpensive enough that there's probably not a lot of bogus versions on the market. And I would probably gravitate toward the biggest, most economical whey protein I could find. Uh, I mean, seriously, even if you can get into something in like a 10, 10 20 pound bag or bucket. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Um, I think the biggest thing you'll see from like more expensive brands is they spend more on flavoring. Really. I mean, that's the thing that I've seen. The cheaper brands may not taste good, but I think you're getting about the same thing nowadays. Whey has a very particular flavor. I mean, you can clearly taste what you've got a lot of protein, you know, whey versus casein and whatnot. Yeah. And, uh, I usually consume a whey casein blend, 
Um, and I can actually tell straight way when I have it. Uh, but yeah, there, and there are companies like, um, you know, Biotest, and everybody knows I've written for them before, so that's just, I don't want to sound, you know, biased, but the metabolic drive protein, I always thought it tasted really good. Their vanilla and chocolate are good. Um, but you know what, when you're, I mean, you can mix, I, I actually prefer, and I think from a consumer advocacy standpoint, just buy something that's very neutral in flavor, and flavor it however you want. Yeah. So again, we're back to the 20 pound bag thing, if you can, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. Anyway, All I wouldn't right. worry about it too much I, as far as meeting label claim or something like that. So. Yeah, the only thing I can add is say about that whole thing is not about the quality, but yeah, the, the the price differential between the size of the the amount that you're getting and the uh, cost seems to be outrageous when you go to places like a up here in Canada, like a drugstore or something like that. Yeah, I think a lot of the high-end supplement companies, they'll try to add special peptides and a lot of little tweaks. And But we're talking about icing on the cake. The cake yeah. is the leucine-rich amino acid profile of whey. And, you know, like we said, you can get that in, in bulk. Uh, I would suggest, though, as a general consumer rule, if you go with a company that's recognizable instead of a very fly-by-night, they tend to be – they have more to lose – so they're less likely to try to, you know, serve you total garbage. Uh, <laughs> right. But anyway, that's just a joke. All right. Let's go to the last uh, letter with a question. And again, thank you, everybody who wrote letters in to us, as usual. Uh, we got a letter here from, well, well, we'll just say his name is Ben. Anyway, I won't go into it because it's a very long email. It's very detailed. And I don't think our... <laughs> listeners particularly care to hear these particular details because he's talking about poop. Yes, you heard me correct. Poop. Um, and he's talking about how he's a healthy guy in his early 30s, blah, 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 blah. You know, he's been to martial arts, lifts weights. Anyway, and he's talking about the shape of his poop. And he would like more nice, solid logs. And that's actually a quote. He would prefer nice, solid logs, and he doesn't have those. Okay. And he goes on and on about it and uses the word poo about a thousand times. But you guys get the hint. Anyway, Lonnie, you're our guy. So how, how does this guy achieve a more, well, a more honestly, nice, a nice you poo, can't talk about, nice let me, let me just, right. <laughs> you can't talk about nutrition without, you know, basically thinking about what comes out the other end a little bit. I had an old friend who was also a dietitian, and she used to say, partially formed stool, Lonnie, partially formed stool. And, you know, that was a whole comment about getting in a fiber, basically. Um, but if I remember parts of this email, he was concerned about, I think he only eats lunch and dinner, and he has massive dinners. Uh, and he eats lots of vegetables and things like that. I would suggest if he's, if he's explosive on the throne, uh, for lack of a better way to put that, then <laughs> it might be that there's a lot of, um, you know, vegetables, especially on the raw side, causing gas and things like that. I mean, I know he doesn't have a lot of gassy bloating and cramping symptoms, but obviously if you're, you know, if, if you can hear what's going on from outside the door... Yeah. You know, there's then, a propellant to that vehicle. Yes, yeah, right, exactly. There's some gas involved there, and it might be that the meals are a little too large or they're a little too high on the veg or the veg is a little too raw. Uh, it could be any number of things. Um but, you know, if, I think if you don't have a lot of obvious gastric problems, uh, you know, you're not cramping and, and you don't have flatulence all day long and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, all I could really say is what a, a dietitian would probably do, which, was, which would be to do um, sort of a, 
a removal kinds of situation, a removal diet where you're, you know, you, you can either remove everything and add things back in one at a time and see what does what to your bowel habits, or you could keep everything steady and remove things a week at a time and see what happens. So you just have to be sort of, um, you know, take this exclusion diet principle and exclude individual things and just be like a scientist and try to narrow down what might be doing it. It could be the protein powders, you're making them too strong, or usually that causes gurgling and whatnot. So anyway, that's all I could say. Everybody's individual. There's a cop-out kind of thing in, in clinical nutrition, which, I, I again, I always thought was a cop-out, which was, you know, individual as tolerated kinds of comments. So everybody's different, and, um, you know, you just have to kind of find the culprit if you if it's a problem. Yeah. The only thing I added in was stress. You know, I know stress can have a, a reaction on what comes out the other end of me. Um, so when he said he was training like jujitsu seven to nine hours a week, plus doing Windler's five three one like four to six times a week, which from my understanding with talking to Jim is more like a two to three times a week program, that thing. So kind of doubling up on that, plus seven to nine hours of jujitsu, and then whatever else your life is full of. Um, it might be something to look at too. Maybe that's a lot of training. Yeah, maybe take a week off and see what comes out the other end then. That's a good idea, Phil. Instead of just adding or removing foods, yeah. it's not going to kill you. Remove exercise for a week for if a week. you can. Yeah. Or, yeah, one one part of the exercise regime or another, like just the yeah. jiu-jitsu or just the lifting, and see yeah. if anything happens there. Usually exercise has a positive effect on bowel habits, but, yeah. you know. Not that you're overstressed. You know, maybe you're, you're reaching that overtraining point. And things are, your, right. your energy is expending elsewhere besides your gut right so. and you had a good comment too about glutamine the gut partly runs on glutamine as a fuel that was a good point you made and so i don't know that's all that's i have to say is be proud of your turds <laughs> rob yeah. makes a lot of them he shovels the food in one end and there's a lot coming out the other and they're <laughs> so solid when they hit the mississippi i can still see them down here they don't even they roll all the way down here in solid state. Nice. As they float <laughs> by. thousand miles away. <laughs> Feels like, oh, that's Rob. Look at There's Rob. Rob is regular. <laughs> Enough of <again>. that. <laughs> Enough poo. All right, so um, that's pretty much all I got it from as far as uh, questions from letters. I'm just going to offer something uh, very quickly before we get to our topic of the day. The topic of the day, by the way, everyone, is living large. We're actually going to sort of poke fun at or gripe about uh, problems that result from excess muscle mass or, you know, the eating that we do as part of our lifestyle or the, or the constant training. So we whipped up a very brief little list. We're just going to talk about some of the, the things. Once you're sort of intermediate or beyond, I think a lot of people will snicker at this living large list. Um, but before that, just quickly before we go to break, I wanted to mention two podcasts. Uh, I'm trying to spread the Iron Radio gospel a little bit on other podcasts and, and also talk about the protein book. Uh, that Phil's on the cover. And um, one was the Stealth Body podcast. We mentioned Scott Iardella a couple of weeks ago. Um, and if you go to uh, stealthbody.com, it's episode 14. Uh, I did an interview with him about how much protein lifters really need. And we talk about protein types and some other things too. So I'll point you to that Stealth Body podcast. It's on iTunes. Um, and. Uh, in an upcoming interview, I got an interesting email from uh, Dominic, Dominic Feischel. He's an a Austrian guy, and he has a podcast, German-speaking uh, uh, usually, although we'll do it in English, of course, uh, 
fitness podcast, and you can go to www.power-quest.cc. Um, I don't know how much you'll really understand. A lot of it's in German. Uh, but anyway, we're going to talk about protein uh, and other things. He's had Bill Pearl on his show before, uh, Mauro DiPascali, uh, uh, Dan John. So, you know, he's trying to interview, the I think, the right people more or less. And uh, so anyway, that's going to be upcoming as well, you know, a little bit of European action if you're interested in that. So, uh, protein. European action. <laughs> that sounds bad. I know, it sounds like we're like porno or something. <laughs> okay. I want to add one thing. There's uh, been at least one impressive feat in the Olympics so far. Um, as far as strength sports go, uh, in Olympic weightlifting, I'm going to butcher his name, I'm sure, because I don't speak Chinese. But uh, Lu Zhangjun. Hit, uh, he's a he's a 77 kilo lifter for those of us who don't live in kilos like Rob. That's uh, about 169 pounds. He broke his own world record with a 385 pound snatch. Oh my god! And then uh, hit 445 pounds for a clean and jerk to take the uh, the all time Olympic and world total. And so, what was his body weight? 169. <laughs> oh my god! It's oh. in a good yeah. way, but oh my god! Yeah. It's a total of 838 pounds or two less. Super you know, both of them going overhead. <laughs> so, That's yeah. I oh, can't yeah. imagine. For a little weighing, dude? Wow. Yeah, weighing 169 pounds and taking, you know, 385 pounds directly from the floor overhead. You know, like, in a snatch. That's, that's pretty freaking amazing. So. Yeah, there's nothing uh, not Iron Radio Brotherhood above that. Yeah, no. worthy. Approved. <laughs> Instant membership. Yeah, no. right. <laughs> you know, Kendrick Ferris lifts today. He's our one male, and then I think uh, Sarah and and Holly lift in a couple days. But other than that, the big news has just been the the high number of Bulgarians over there. But uh, it seems that all these countries have now taken the Bulgarian lifters and made them citizens. But, <laughs> All right. all right, well, let's go to a break, and then we'll come back. We'll uh, get into that uh, kind of entertaining, fun topic that Lonnie just uh, told us about. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. 
Okay, everyone, we're back. Uh, today's topic on Iron Radio is living large, which is just, um, we're going to talk about funny or annoying problems that result from, uh, you know, excess muscle mass or from the large amount of eating we do or the training or what have you. And I think there's going to be some of these things on our list that, you know, you guys are like, oh, God, that's so true. So I want to set this up, though, however, with a little bit of a twist. And I just saw a paper uh, by Forbes and colleagues. It's the Journal of Social Psychology. It's not brand new. It's a 2004 paper. But this is about hypermuscular women and the men who love them, it's called. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, what they did was, and again, since we're talking about hypermuscular guys, I thought I would at least give a nod to the hypermuscular women. What they did was they interviewed uh, standard college students, I believe, just middle-class college students, uh, about what they thought of hypermuscular women compared to average women. Uh, hmm. And here's what they found. I mean, based now, when, on they, just, when you say hypermuscular, are we talking like professional women, bodybuilder, or just or because that's it's defined here as bodybuilders, hypermuscular female bodybuilders. Okay, so we're talking about the uh, the uh, supplement using women. Uh, I would assume, because otherwise they'd probably just be, you know, mild to moderately muscular. I mean, I don't want to sound, you know, uh, rude. I'm sure there are some women who are very buff or just natural, but yeah, I'm 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 presuming heavily muscled, probably supplement using, as you're saying. Okay. Quote unquote. Um, Here's what it says, though. Participants perceived hypermuscular women compared to the average woman. Uh, and again, some of this may enrage you or you may agree, but um, <laughs> as having more masculine and fewer feminine interests as being less likely to be good mothers. Now, uh, this, is being, just the, this is just what they're, they're assuming? Their like, perception, like a, right, their how perception. they perceive them. Okay. Uh, being less intelligent. Oh, man. Um less socially popular and less attractive. Hmm. That's what the average college student says about hypermuscular women. And again, it's almost like you need some education to kind of you know eliminate these biases. I mean, Iron Radio has a lot of hypermuscular people, and certainly I don't think uh, we we describe ourselves as being uh, you know less intelligent. Um, we've had some very bright people. Now, on the positive side, it says, however, participants did perceive them as being less likely to be socially deviant. I find a little odd because being hypermuscular is socially deviant, um, or to be sexually manipulative, um, and also they were perceived by the average college student as being more likely to be extroverted, conscientious, and open to new experiences compared to average women. Uh, finally, they, as far as the men who are romantically involved with them, it says participants perceived the men who were romantically involved with these hypermuscular women as having stronger than usual masculine traits and interests and identities. Yeah, yeah. Super well, romantic. That's interesting. Um, so that's, yeah, that's what the average college kid thinks about hypermuscular women and the guys who do it. Well, as you know, I've always had kind of a, an attraction to hypermuscular women, but not the drug-using types. Um but I don't know. I, I, I certainly have noticed more often than not that people from not in, in our neck of the woods generally don't enjoy women with muscles. And I think I've always kind of had this idea that a lot of just average, you know, average Joes have that opinion because they're threatened by it, to be honest with you. I mean, maybe I'm totally off base there, but um, that's always been my impression, really. No, I think you I think you dig on them, Rob. You fit this mold in the sense that, you know, you're hyper-masculine among males. You know, you're huge, 
bald, lifter, metalhead, you know what I mean? These are all, or Phil, you know, Harley riding, metal, power lifter, you know what I mean? These are all, I think what the average person would consider hyper-muscular traits. And then you're much less threatened by the muscly girls. Yeah, I mean, um, I can tell you from experience, and this might infuriate some people who maybe, but I've noticed that a lot of, certainly in professional women bodybuilders, um, and of course I'm not painting with a you know, broad stroke here that all of them are like this, but I've encountered more than ample evidence that a great many of those types of women who are indulging in, you know, the use of anabolic steroids and so forth are actually quite sexually deviant. <laughs> and I've always had, I have my own theories about that whole thing, but, um, you know, the drugs pushing them towards, you know, behaviors that might not be physiologically, you know, the reality if they hadn't done that, but. Right, high sex drivers. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I don't know, but certainly like women who are extremely kind of like physical women in any capacity, you know, and, you know, kind of solid. I, I find that actually very, I actually find that enhances femininity. So that, 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 that's the one part about what you said, Lonnie, that kind of um, I totally just didn't get because I find women who are very physical and very athletic women, by and large, I think that whole attribute of their lifestyle kind of in, accentuates the feminine attributes. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I didn't see in this abstract was anything about body fat level. And although I super respect it, like as a peer, you know, kind of situation it, when a girl is completely shredded, I don't necessarily find that as attractive as when she's a little softer. Uh, that's just my oh, yeah. personal personal preference, you know what I mean? This, again, not that I don't respect it, I'm like, wow, fantastic. But I think in bodybuilding, whether it's a guy or a girl, you look at like legs and arms and torso as almost like the fenders of a car. You know, they're objectified to such a point that they're not really sexualized when you're in that mode, you know? Yeah. No, that's absolutely true, it's good, and it's a good point to make. It's, um, I mean, certainly you could say that about, you know, I mean, we, and we've, Lonnie, you and I have grown up having that whole idea about, you know, um, guys who are not, engaged, you know, in, in, into the whole physique, you know, world, you know, when you're showing your, a friend, you know, some other guy's physique in a magazine, and you get the, you know, the civilian, quote-unquote, guy, you know, you guys are, you know, bleep fags, you know, kind of a thing. Right. They don't realize that. At that point, like you say, I mean, male or female, you're, you know, you're, you're objectifying, you know, the body parts in the physique to such a degree that it has nothing to do with, you know, a sexual thing. Right. It's, that, it's, it's like looking shit. at a hobby, a collection of something, or like I said, yeah. a car or whatever. And I mean, yeah. obviously, that could, the context, it, it's, it's like I always say about everything in life. Everything in life is context. You know, and it's the context that you're viewing something in that that changes it. But, you know, it's like the whole idea of what is pornography and what is not pornography. It's it really is the context. You know, is nudity itself sexual? You know, or is it you know nudity with the with the idea to try and titillate with something? I mean, again, it, to me, it's all context. But yeah, without going off off onto a tangent. So no, but that's all very interesting stuff for sure. Because I'm like I say, as a guy who you know spends a great deal of time in the gym and always has, I. I really, you know, I really dig that whole kind of strong female thing, and, and, right. and she doesn't. She doesn't by any means have to be a powerlifter or a bodybuilder. I mean, even if you look at the Olympics that are going on right now, some of the women who are in the track and field and stuff. I mean, I think that's just. I just think that's awesome. Oh yeah, you know, just to see a very capable, athletic, dynamic, strong female. You know what tips the scales, Rob? For me, uh, it, 
even among the girls who uh, you know are using anabolic steroids, uh, it's the amount and what that they are using, I think, oftentimes too, because you can see the girls on very large amounts of something highly androgenic like testosterone oh, or yeah. you know whatever raw test, you know halitestin, whatever, uh, and they're they get sort of that huge trap trapezius look, you know, like oh, their right. their upper back becomes almost gorilla like, very very huge and thick. And I personally don't find that super attractive. I just, you know, it's just a personal preference. Is it impressive? Yes. Yes, it is. But is it something that's highly sexualized as far as when I look at that? Not really for me. You know? Like, if to, to me, my ideal is like, if you, if you, for, again, our older listeners, if you look at, like, off-season Corey Everson in her early couple of years as, as a reigning Miss Olympia, so we would be talking, like, you know, early, mid-80s kind of a thing. I think that was just awesome. Very beautiful. Yeah, I think she looks yep. amazing. I mean, and people might have comments this way or that about the plastic surgery that she's had on her face, which clearly she has had. But from a physical standpoint, I just thought that was amazing. Oh yeah, there's been a couple of women over the years. I'm trying to remember the blonde in the in the mid to late '90s. She was very very facially pretty, and she Anya had Langer. Whole, no, Anya Langer was she was she was pretty too, but. Anya uh, more recent than that. Okay. She was very facially pretty blonde, and you could actually watch as her career progressed, sort of masculinized. Yeah. Are you talking about Melissa Coates? Maybe. Because she was a, she's a Canadian woman that. Um, and again, was she no, very she, pretty when she started. No, yeah. No. No disrespect to Melissa Coates, but yeah, I mean, I watched her coming in when I was at Muscle Mag, and there was a of kind of you know heading headlong into her pro bodybuilding days and it was remarkable over a period of only how things were changing morphing morphing into ways like again better worse that's somebody else's you know I'm not going to get into that but yeah yeah that's her I'm, I just looked it up yeah. yeah yeah so anyway yeah and and like I say it's it's nobody just say you know what people do with their own bodies it's just uh, not you know nine times out of ten the women who do go down that particular road I've had many women again who are very name women in the in the field of muscle strength tell me off the record that you know years after they kind of had retired or you know they were on their twilight of their competing years have told me off the record that you know if they had had the opportunity to do it again they wouldn't have gone that way so and I think I think a lot of guys could probably be the same way maybe obviously not from a realization standpoint but just from the you know the, the, the different negative a- aspects of you know what entails that. I mean, when, you, you guys know when you're twenty. We talked about that, yeah. Yeah, when you're twenty three and you're just you know, I mean, you know, you got that whole Tom Platt's idea. You know, I'm gonna when the Mr. Olympia die trying. When you're that age, you actually would believe something like that, you know, and you think that's yeah. worthwhile. You know, I'm gonna try trying. You think that's somehow great, you know, and then you're like, well, I think to the point. Like, Physique-wise, I, I think there's a sweet spot, and whether it's men or women, with women, you know, we're talking about like, you know, being sexually very attractive. Uh, for the guys, it's just you know that outrageous fullness and tightness with before they, you know, I, I just think years and years of heavy, heavy use, and you, it's like you can't have it forever. You know, things change, so physiques change. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get back to the point then, and the topic of the day. We're talking about hypermuscular men, though. And as far as living large, again, w- with our kind of uh, funny list, 
I'll just start to read down some of this. You guys can chime in. But, Rob, you've mentioned broken toilet seats. That's a headache for guys who are big. I'm the king of broken toilets. Although my new one that I bought several months ago seems to be holding up pretty well. But, yeah, it, it can be a pain in the ass. And funnily enough, just recently I heard somebody else um, saying on a, on a bodybuilding uh, message board that they, that they had smashed through <laughs> one of their... Uh, toilet bowl seats and that he was feeling pretty proud about that so to us warp types I suppose that's kind of almost like a <laughs> like a bucket list thing you get so you want to get so big that you smash through a toilet seat so well I took a page from you uh, when I broke one last year and I'm not nearly as big as you guys I'm, I'm all of 215 but you know I'm only 5'9 so that's a lot of weight for me but um, I just went straight for the metal hinge and it really solved my problem so if you're breaking <laughs> if you're breaking metal hinge toilet seats, you are a huge dude. <laughs> uh, nice. Anyway, what about you, Phil? I, I don't know. You ever break toilet seats, or the next step of this is can you fit in a bathroom stall? Oh, uh, yeah, broken toilet seats. It depends on the bathroom. I'll tell you the worst for anybody. I mean, they're bad for normal people, but airplanes—they're just like out. It doesn't. You can't do it. Oh my oh, God! Yeah, you ever sit? Sitting next to Rob in an airplane for me is a train wreck. Because I'm fairly wide. Rob is super huge, and it's not working. It it doesn't work. Yeah, no, I I don't like uh, sitting beside also large, muscular men because then, then it just becomes... Yeah, like you're saying, it just becomes ridiculous. You know, like well, you're a bike. jostling. Even if they're a bud, you're still jostling, and you're trying to like fit. You know, and it's just not happening. And, yeah. <laughs> I was actually just recently in in a uh, pub the other day, and I went into the washroom, and they had just you know the regular stall. It was a, it was a small place, and two urinals, and it was separated. You know, as most of you would will understand by a you know a little metal partition that kind of juts out from the wall. Just to, you know, save you a little bit of a privacy when you're standing there peeing. Anyway, it looked like it would be sufficient for pretty much anybody to stand in. And, you know, when I went in, there was three or four guys, so I had to wait for a couple minutes. And I, I didn't even think about it. And then when I walked up to it, I basically had to wedge myself in sideways to use the urinal. And so it can be deceiving because I think a lot of times that um, if you start really young, you have this idea of your physicality. And you always maintain it the way you had, way you thought of it when you were like 15. Mm-hmm. So you know, like, so if you're 150 pounds, then you know, when you get to be 300 pounds, you still have this idea, like, you know, the subconscious, conscious idea that you're still 150 pounds, and you don't really kind of understand how big you've gotten. Your identity doesn't change much, yeah. Exactly. You're so you know, it's like that whole classic thing. You know, you change on the outside, but on the inside, you're still you know that goofy 14 year old boy kind of a thing. And and physically, I think that holds true. It really does. Because when I walked up to it, I, I I was completely amazed with the fact that, like I said, I kind of like had to wedge myself in there, and I had no idea. So, it, 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 little things like that that a lot of people don't even think about. Yeah, and you talk about airport, I mean airplane washrooms, that's why I always laugh when I see this mile high club thing, because I think to myself, I remember the first time I was in a plane, I was like, how would it even be possible? You know, and that to get was in there was, with a woman? Yeah, yeah that was like 100 pounds ago for me. I'm thinking, you know, Like I'm, Phil I'm, says, if you're a grown-ass man, that's not <laughs> happening. Yeah, I mean... It's, Just taking a pee's a chore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. yeah so Another I... Another uh, good one is, because uh, this just came up last night, 
I went to a over to a friend's house for like a barbecue, and they brought out a folding chair. Oh, no, not good. Not, nothing scares me worse than portable chairs. It's like, oh, you got to sit down all ginger. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go to barbecues and stuff without in those little fold-out chairs, you know. Well, I think most of those type of chairs are actually only rated for, you know. Yeah, I broke many. I would imagine. (laughs) Yeah, it's not. My parents have some on the back there. A lot more heavy duty than the type you're talking about. And I remember my father getting all mad when he first bought them and I came over saying, you're forbidden, you can't use those chairs. (laughs) He says because You're it banned. Was, I was banned from the chair because it said it was only good to a two fifty or something. He was he just spent a load of money on them, so I was uh, I had to use like this crappy wooden bench that he had yeah. sitting there and drag it over. So chairs are very you know uh, risky business these days because there's all these sort of little disclaimers on them because I think you know people are crushing them. Uh, even the <laughs> the office chair that I just bought, it's rated for a two hundred and twenty pound individual. It says if you weigh more than two twenty, do not sit in this chair. Well, I'm flirting with that right now. So what the hell am I going to do? You know, and, and I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird when you when we were, you consider what we were talking about uh, last week or the week before the whole idea that you know the increasing you know specifically in North America the whole idea of you know obesity and so forth and they keep putting these like you say, Lonnie. It seems like every year these chairs come with more and more warnings and it's like and they're, they're, but they're not increasing the the. Uh, weight load that they can take so of course they're thinking about obese people they're not thinking about someone like you or phil who you stand up and the chair is stuck to your ass (laughs) (laughs) that's a good party trick though yeah it it can it's that's good for a laugh or two your big horse's ass squatter's butt (laughs) 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 all right let's go down the list here uh this might be more of a problem with me than with you guys i'm not saying you never do this but dress shirts don't fit right let me let me just fuss about this Today I had on a shirt, you know, and the, the, the buttons are straining. My wife always quotes um, uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, where Gimli says, it's a little tight across the chest. She always says that when I put on a dress shirt because if I find one that fits, it's tight across my chest. But, the, you know, but then if I get one that's, that fits my chest, it's ballooning and mushrooming around my waist and it looks ridiculous. So even if you – and I'll tell you what. This is fitness cut shirts notwithstanding. You get one of these fitness cut shirts and – they're either no different from a regular one. They're still ballooning around your waist, or they're thin through the chest. These, like, city-cut shirts are thin through the chest. That's, like, blasphemy to me. Wait, <laughs> let, wait let's cater to the dudes who have no shoulder mass? I don't know. So, anyway, that's a problem. But I know you guys, the next one, you guys have certainly have problems with jeans or pants. Fit and oh, yeah. Yeah, jeans are a nightmare. I, I try not to wear them. Yeah, it, you know, and, and you see a lot of guys, big muscular bodybuilders and so, so forth, and, you know, people will make fun about how they're always wearing, you know, I've heard the multiple multiple times the word clown, you know, clown outfit, clown clothes. All I have to say to people is, you know, for this, some of these guys are like, you know, five foot ten, two 275 pounds at 4% body fat. It's like, you know what? They got no choice. You, know? you try and go out and find... Yeah. A decent pair of jeans that's going to help you with that. I mean, no wonder. I mean, some of those you know bodybuilding clothing manufacturers kind of like hit big because it's like all of a sudden these guys had, you know, now again maybe some of them did appear a little clownish, but you know at least they had something they could buy that was you know new and <laughs> it's kind of form fitting. But I know what you're saying. Unfortunately, back in the 80s and 90s, sometimes you'd see stuff like tiger stripes or you know che- you know cheetah. With spots or something. You're like, oh, do you have to make them even more obnoxious? 
<laughs> they're already baggy and a little bit obnoxious, you know. I don't. Know. <laughs> yeah, so. but yeah, so yeah, buy, buying clothes can be. And I, I've heard other. I, I actually once bought a, um, a woman's pair of jeans uh, years ago, and I remember. I, I've heard other men say the same kind of thing because women's jeans tend to be rumored in the hips, and the tops of the legs. Mm. Uh, like you've said, Lonnie, in the past, you know, because it's true. You buy a, you know, a, a typical straight leg. Pair of jeans, you oh, know, and the, yes. to get the ones that fit your thighs, you got to get. Or even loose like, cut, even loose cuts, not enough. I used to buy, and I, some listeners might remember, silver tab uh, baggies. <laughs> Levi's had what are called silver tab baggies, yeah. and they were huge. All my jeans were silver tab baggies because you know when you've got a 31 inch waist and 28 inch thighs, that's not going to work, you know, in any kind of uh, straight leg like you said. I mean, forget straight leg. And I mean, think about, I mean, my legs are not colossal right now. But when I go buy dress pants, God, forget it. Even if they're loose cut, loose for who, you know? Uh, well, anybody. some of the funniest scenes, some of the funniest pictures I've seen, and no offense to Mr. Coleman, but Ronnie Coleman has. There's some pretty funny pictures over the years of him, you know, showing up in suits and that at, at functions. And I mean, that guy is just. Yes. I mean, again, no offense to the dude, but I mean, he looks like a, he does look like a clown, you know. Yeah, it's, it's he's not in a his special fault. tailored. Right, it's not his fault because the clo- you can tell the clothes he's wearing are good, like you say, Lonnie. They're almost probably like you know custom made suits. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with them at all. It's not his fault. It's not the clothing. The clothing's fault. It's just it's so big, and it's just you know on top you know with with these you know suit shoulders on top of already like just you know ridiculous sized shoulders. It just it just starts looking foolish. <laughs> but again, what what what's a guy like that supposed to do, right? Right. Exactly. Well, here's a related topic. Thighs chafing. You guys ever have problems with that? Like you just can't walk around. Your Used thighs to. start rubbing. Used to. Now I think that the skin is just over the, over the decades has kind of like just become used to it. But I re- certainly remember when I, you know, st- first started really packing on leg uh, leg mass. I remember that for several years that was quite an issue actually. And certainly even now, even though the skin itself doesn't chafe anymore, I I can I can uh, you know friction out a pair of pants. Between the legs and yeah, six my months. pants still wear right there. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and it's very that's very upsetting too because you got this pair of pants that's still in perfect condition. Yes, but they got gigantic holes that you got to perfectly good otherwise. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind of disheartening. You're like, there's nothing wrong with this pair of pants except for the fact that the crotch is totally worn out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, I remember Tom Platts. I used to uh, I used to walk back and forth when I was a grad student in San Diego. I'd walk to the gym. It was about two miles. Um, and Tom Platts once mentioned Vaseline, I think. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I, my thighs were never quite that big, but again, they were you know they were twenty eight plus for a while. And um, I was trying to figure out how to do that. My solution ultimately was I would buy spandex, and even to this day, I would get Under Armour, and you know I just wear them like under my sweat, sort of. Yeah. Uh, and I just let them take all of the friction instead of my skin, and that seems to work pretty well. And I'll give okay. everybody a tip too: if you've got huge legs and they rub together to the point of like mine will be just be like road rash, you know what I mean, or like a turf burn almost. They were really bad. I mean, even to the point of a little bit of blood. And I'm like, God. So um, Gold Bond powder, they, it has a, they have a friction free powder now or something. So you oh, might want to look into that. Yeah. Nice. Uh, next on the list, 
Oh, I, I don't know if this is true with you guys or not. Uh, uh, I don't know how big Phil's feet are, Rob. I know your feet aren't that big, but do your feet hurt when you have to stand all day? Like, what about you when you're bouncing, Rob? Do you all your weight on your normal sized feet? Do they make your feet hurt? You know what? It's I can only talk for myself, but you know what? It's it's to me, it's just it's training and, and adaptation. If I'm doing a lot of standing, it. No, eventually I can stand for several hours, and it doesn't make a big deal. The only time it actually feels less than grand is if I have been standing for several hours. <clears throat> and then I go, the first time, you know, after that several hours, I go and I sit in a car or something. That first taking the weight off the feet yeah. for that for that first three, four seconds, that's the most pain to me. It's almost like because you have all that pressure on the foot for several hours, and then... You just take it off, you know, and it's just like, oh, right. you know, it's almost like they kind of like decompress for a few seconds. Right. And I'm well, I can tell you when I noticed this is when I was moving furniture the past couple of months. I've done it a few times. And, you know, me plus couch, you know, yeah. or me plus office desk or something. And then you do that all day long. My feet were literally swollen the next day. Were your because dogs less, barking? What's that? Yeah, they yeah. were barking. Your yeah. dogs were barking. <laughs> Phil, do you know what I'm talking about here? No, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can stand it. Getting out there doing things like that, yeah, I mean, that's... I just spent the last month, like, pouring concrete in my building, and it wasn't that hard 60 pounds ago. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now, yes. 60 pounds later, just bending over all the time, walking and this and that, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, my, my, my legs and calves and feet get tired for sure. So I just don't, I don't think, you know, the human foot, I'm no, I'm no podiatrist, but I'm sure the human foot is only made for a body mass index up to a certain point, you know, yeah. and then it's just like, I'm not supporting you. But like I say, you know, I, I really firmly believe the human body will eventually, to some degree, adapt to something. So yeah, if, if you do that, you know, if you have a job or, you know, whatever for several months and you're staying, you know, I, I'm not saying oh, yeah. it, it'll ever be not... You know, maybe uncomfortable at the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth hour, but eventually it'll be a lot less. Like, I mean, if you're not used to that, right? Like, I mean, I remember, yeah. I remember taking you know several years off, not doing any bouncing at all, and then I went back to it on some weekends, and oh yeah, for the first like seven or eight times, it was just dreadful. Oh yeah, and like, you know, a lot of it depends on what you're wearing too. I mean. You know, when I've got on dress shoes and I'm moving heavy book mm. boxes of books all day, forget it. You know, it's yeah. just it's not fun. And you know, and I know that if I weighed, you know, I don't know, 175 pounds or something, it wouldn't be as bad. You know, you hear other people talk about their dogs bark, and I'm like, you know, put on 50 pounds and give it a try, buddy. <laughs> or for you guys, put on 100 pounds and give it a try. Yeah. It's um, this next one, and um, I'm guessing you guys experience this too, and I don't know lifters, uh, listeners as well, but do you have a problem sleeping on your side? Because I always joke, it feels like my head's bobbing like a Christmas ornament. And I mean, <laughs> it's not like I'm super wide, but I never remember that from when I, like you said, your 14-year-old identity self. I used to be able to sleep on my side, and there's no way. I might get a neck strain, it stretches on the one side. Do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. There's, I can't it. Forget no pillow. One pillow, forget it. Right. I usually have a minimum, minimum of two pillows because I sleep almost exclusively on my sides. And I can tell you that, you know, minimum two pillows. Usually I try and get three under there uh, to get my head a little bit more <laughs> even keel, as they say. 
Um, but yeah, there, there's there's when I see people laying down on their sides, you know, like on the floor or something with no pillow, I'm like, no, this. Yeah, how do you do? How does that happen? Yeah, that's that's not gonna happen. <laughs> Phil, what did you say about this? That I just can't sleep on my side. I can't do it. What do you I sleep can't. on your back? I have to sleep on my back. Really? Yeah. yeah. I can't sleep on my stomach either because I just can't breathe. It's like, You're like a beach you know, whale. I'm, yeah, I'm crushing myself, so I just can't breathe. So I have to sleep on my back. Yeah. Feels crushed <laughs> under his own body weight. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm, I'm to the point where I'm, I might have to try a CPAP because my wife tells me now that I'll be she'll hear me and I'll quit breathing and then <gasps> I'll do that. And I don't. Oh, know that happening. is so funny. So. Kelly just told me that literally just last night. She goes. Yeah. You need CPAP, buddy. Yeah. She said it was scary. She said you quit breathing for like 30 seconds, and then you, you know, it's, and started breathing again. But, but you know what? It's got to have something to do with the excess body mass. Oh, it does. You know? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So oh, what is this CPAP? See what? What is this? CPAP. It's a... Uh, I, I guess it's just sort of oxygen that turns on at the right time. Because, you know, when you have sleep apnea, yeah, it's actually, you know, part of a, the risk factor for, like, cardiovascular disease and stuff because you are you get sort of a mild adrenaline rise, you know, because it's a stressful period. You know, your heart starts beating harder and your oxygen, you know, levels low in your blood because, you know, you're not breathing regularly. You're not well oxygenated. Uh, and so, you know, it's not good for you. And, and the whole idea is a CPAP machine sort of, Kicks in some extra oxygen, as I understand. It gives you it gives you a constant poundage of airflow. Hmm. Okay, pressure. Okay, yeah. 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 So even like if you because I, I tried one out, even if you like it, it just pushes air in all the time, like six pounds or whatever. You can set it at whatever you need. So I mean, it'll force you to take a breath in, oh. even if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, but then you're wearing masks and hoses, and you got a pump. And, it looks so like some kind of, so you look even more like a science experiment. So you, so you look like so you look like Bane from the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, exactly. uh, the, the things we do, right, to accommodate uh-huh. the, the lifestyle. But, yeah. yeah, here's me fussing about my head bobbing like a Christmas ornament, and Phil's actually, you know, beached whale uh, hooked up to a machine. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, a, a couple more things here. Um, I. Uh, there's the obvious ones about having to carry food everywhere or finding time to eat all the time at work. Now, when your work is is fitness, I'm guessing that it's a little bit less of a problem. I don't know, Phil, as a gym owner and coach. Oh, I, yeah, I'll just eat right out there. Yeah, you're me. just eating all the time. Yeah. Uh, I have a hard time because I can't really take food in front of the class, you know. But when I teach back-to-back classes, I don't know. I'm like woofing down a protein bar in between or something, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, then you got to think about keeping it cold and, and all Professor that. Professor Lowry is pretending he's dropping his pen behind the desk and he goes down and, like, takes a <laughs> meatballs. Well, I'm stuffing protein in my mouth. <laughs> Excuse me, class. <laughs> Excuse me, but I jam some lunch meat into my pie hole. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, okay, we got one more on our list, and that's uh, and I, I've heard Phil talk about manscaping before, which I think is a funny word, but callus remover removal and hair removal. Let me make a quick comment about hair removal. One thing, and again, this is, depends if uh, you know listeners are they partake in androgens and whatnot. But I used to always think, oh, you know, bodybuilders, it's sort of a part of the brotherhood to shave your legs, and sometimes you see really skinny dudes shaving their legs and stuff. And I can understand on stage that it helps. 
obviously visualize the separation and the muscularity. But it dawned on me after hanging around with national caliber and professional bodybuilders that they shave year round. I mean, because that would only matter on stage. Who cares about, you know, uh, separation and visual things most of the year when you're sort of bulking anyway? And it dawned on me that they're doing this because otherwise they would be, they would look like a Yeti. You know, I mean, the zoo would come retrieve them for some kind of ape bin or something, you know, ape exhibit. So hair removal, I think, is is an ongoing problem. But I think even normal guys that are high testosterone, you know, you're bald up top and you're, it just comes out everywhere else. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's one of those things I can talk for as, as a former competitive bodybuilder, you know, who kind of moved on from that. It becomes, and, and no, there's no way I freaking, like, nair it or anything or anything like that. But it, you, you kind of get used to not being, like you say, a Yeti. Yeah. So, you know, you don't necessarily want your, you know, chest to be poofing out hair four, <laughs> four inches out and stuff. So, you know, you get used to having these clippers or something there. You just kind of clip it down a little bit because you kind of get used to that whole idea, you know. And I think even when you're just lifting in general, like, you know, it's just it's just... I don't know if I get to put like knee warmers on and stuff and all that thing. It just, it just is a little less, um, desirable to be doing that when you have like, again, like four inch hair hanging off your legs and stuff like that. And I'll tell you what too, the hair of, uh, like a higher testosterone guy for whatever reason in, in middle age, that is not like other hair. You know what I mean? This is stuff that will dull a razor in one go, you know? <laughs> and I mean, I, to this day, I shave the fronts of my thighs. I was talking to, a colleague about this once, who's a, he was actually a semi-pro soccer player for a while, and he goes, I, I actually said something about, you know, I have to shave my thighs or they kind of break out. And he said, they break out if you don't shave? Why don't you just leave them alone? And I'm like, no, you don't understand, you know, because my my legs are still big enough that they rub against my pants. I, I got to keep the fronts of my legs, and I, and I, I keep my chest clean uh, and my stomach. And after a while, you're just like, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm not competing, you know. And you're it's, just, it's habit. I'm telling you, it's, ha- it's, it's habit. It's funny, but you have to, you, you, you make a bargain with yourself. Like, I rotate shaving, it, although I'm not, you know, I don't shave my shins and my calves anymore. I mean, unless I'm going to compete or something, of course. Uh, but, you know, you're trimming and you're shaving. And, you know, especially with my head now, Robin, I know you can understand this. Like, when I shave, it's not just my jaws. Sometimes it's my whole head. You know. Oh yeah, so, I always do the. I always do both my head and my face at the same time. Yeah, so like I, all the way around. Yeah. So I like when I put the <laughs> when I when I use the <laughs> when I use the shaving foam, which I do. When I have it all on my head, I look like freaking Santa Claus. Yeah, me too. I bet a bunch head. of listeners, but bald guys, like you know, <laughs> are understanding what we're saying there. So I just drag the razor, literally, usually starting from the back of the nape of my neck and over my head, and <laughs> come down the go. other side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then obviously let's and we'll just wrap up here. Like callus removal, I've got serious calluses right now, and I mean I know Phil does what I do. We just trim them off with uh, nail clippers, right? The so. way I look at it, if you know, I, I got calluses, but the way I look at it, when they come off, they'll come off when they want to, and that usually results in every several months I'll be pulling the deadlift and just they'll just yank off and yeah. blood will spurt. See, and... That's what I don't want. I don't want it to like tear free like. The whole circle of the callus tears free, you know. But I yeah, assume you guys I have... I keep them trimmed and, yeah. Yeah. And it kind of defeats that. The only time I rip callus, I tend to always do it in a meat. But, again, that's something really freaking heavy. And 
So well, yeah, and that's the only problem with having that happen too when you're actually deadlifting is because then you get all sorts of blood and then the blood mm-hmm. is like then it just ruins your grip. So yeah. <laughs> then you got everybody potentially getting the gynocephal of herbalades from you. Yeah, everybody's getting Ebola and that's just not a good scene. Yeah. All right, well, there's some of the realities, the dark side of uh, powerlifting and bodybuilding, I guess. Yeah. You guys have any other thoughts? I would, just oh. say, I would just say it's the humorous side. And you know what? It's these things that just do nothing but aid into the whole idea of a brotherhood, sisterhood. You know, because this, these are all kind of things, and there's so many more that I'm sure listeners can think of. These are all the things that kind of bind us together, you know? The things that you can go to a powerlifting meet or go to a bodybuilding competition and be backstage with a bunch of people that maybe you've never even laid eyes on before. And, you know, easily within a minute, you can be shooting the shit, laughing your ass off because there's so many. It's it's probably like that, obviously, for any kind of niche community. Right. You know, because it, it just you have all these shared... It, it, let's be realistic. It's, it's, it's all pretty funny stuff, you know. And, and so it's it's just that sh- that shared experience that, you you know, you all can, like, just bond over and laugh about, really. Yeah, I mean, because you go to something like the Arnold Classic or something at the Expo or any of those big expos, um, you know, if you if you it can be annoying um, as hell, but if you actually just stand back and just kind of let, let yourself lighten up for a second and you look at it, it really is comical because you're like, my God, look at us, we're just a bunch of bunch of you know complete. Well, because you're doing it, you're doing it to yourself, you know, and, that, yeah. and it's something we all tolerate, you know. Exactly. So you know, and every has it. You know, every sport has its own little weird rituals that people outside of that realm kind of just look upon as being bizarre and strange, and you know. And but that's just like I say, any kind of little niche community it has its own little ways of doing things and experiences and shared experiences. So you know, it's 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 kind of fun. Okay. Well, uh, before we sign off, I'm going to say one last thing. Uh, if you've got your own living large. Uh, frustration. Go ahead and post it on our Facebook page. I think it could be funny. I'm sure there's tons of this stuff. You know, so uh, yeah, just share it on the Facebook page. Other than that, good show. Have a good one, everybody. Alright, guys. Later. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state of the art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, 
This is what the liter literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however, obviously I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because like you, I wanna have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what a, perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.